Welcome to Search Talk Live with search engine optimization and marketing experts, Robert O'Haver and Matt Weber. Brought to you by Pixel Cut Labs. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Search Talk Live, hashtag social distancing. With me today is Matt Weber of Roar Internet Marketing here in Orlando, Florida. Matt, how are you? I'm doing well, man. Social distancing. Again, you and I not in the same studio, doing it remotely, keeping safe. I'm doing fantastic. Are you doing well as well? I'm doing good. Yep. Staying healthy and uh, wearing a mask anytime I go grocery shopping or anything like that. But uh, Oh, we're yeah. not supposed to be wearing the mask now while we do the show? Uh, no. <laughs> oh. All right. Hang on we're, for a second. All I right. think this is a great time to be a Search Talk Live host, Robert, I got to tell you, and maybe you're getting the same feedback, but you know, you can't get a hold of Google anymore during this as they shifted resources. So people are looking for places to get answers to the questions they have. Google support yeah. is way down. And I think we have a guest today that's going to answer a lot of questions that people are having. Yeah, we're going to talk Google Analytics today, and we're going to talk Google Analytics with someone who probably has taught more people Google Analytics uh, then perhaps anybody else. And if you're listening to the show, you probably know somebody who learned something about Google Analytics from somebody who was taught by this gentleman, Dave Fimmick. Dave, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks, Matt. Great to have you. Tell us a little bit about uh, your background. Sure. Yeah. So I've uh, I've been working in this industry or just in analytics in general for quite some time. Uh, I got my start in 2002 in the U.S. Navy. Uh, I was an intelligence analyst, and I worked uh, while I worked for the Navy. I worked uh, primarily with different uh, clandestine organizations. Uh, after I got out, I started doing uh, work in the private sector around 2006, and this is when I started venturing into the marketing applications of analytics. Um, during that time, uh, you know, I've worked in this industry, done hundreds of analytics implementations and deployments. Uh, I worked for companies big and small, spanning uh, too many industries and verticals to list. Uh, companies such as Mercedes, Electronic Arts, United Music Group, Sally Beauty, Fandom, a ton more. Um, odds are, if you've been on the internet in the past 10 years, you've probably been tracked by something I put in place implementation-wise. Um, <laughs> I've done, uh, yeah, that's pretty creepy, and I creep myself out when I say that, but uh, it, it's it's oddly true. But uh, I've done a lot of consulting and training work uh, and directly for Google as well, uh, as Matt mentioned. Uh, for a while there, I bounced around the U.S. delivering a three-day GA GTM training. Uh, I lost count around 250 events. Um, I, I got to meet a lot of great people. You know, uh, uh, I got to learn a lot because all that exposure to people who are working in this industry, uh, I got to learn about what they're, um, what they're using and what they're doing. Uh, so today I work for a fantastic company called InfoTrust as a lead consultant. Uh, I had up a handful of projects that help uh, teams build and leverage their data. Um, most of what I do is on the technical and implementation side of things. Um, but I come from a big analysis background. So for me, when I'm building out a technical strategy, it's all about what those end reports look at, at the end of the day and how much value they're going to bring to my clients. Well, I got to tell you, I'm really excited about the show because I'm I have a, I've been doing the SEO for a very long time and everything I do is data driven. So in, and it, it derives from Google Analytics for a big part of it. So uh, diving into this is, is exciting for me. Excellent. Now, Dave, did you say you worked for clandestine organizations when you first got out of the Navy? Uh, no, well, I was in the Navy. In um, the Navy. Okay. Yeah. So no one listening to the show is trying to track you down right now. Uh, I sure hope not. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> awesome. Well, well, Dave, let's get started just for some quick uh, kind of basics. We'll start at the beginning. Give us some basic routine checks just so people can be assured that their Google Analytics is set up correctly. What's three or four things they got to look at to make sure it's set up right so they know they can rely on the data? Yeah, um, th that's a question I hear frequently, and a lot of it boils down to just trusting your data, right? Um, you want to look at what's in your reports and feel that it's reliable, that's quality, right? Um, and there are a lot of indicators in the data itself that indicate something is awry. Um, one of the big things I always check is um, if the bounce rate is uh, way one direction, especially if it's extremely low. Because uh, typically that means that things are firing when they shouldn't or when they're not expected. Uh, so I usually joke if you have a really low bounce rate, you're either doing something extremely right or something very wrong. Uh, I haven't found anyone that's doing anything extremely right quite yet. So the other checks too are on the page itself. Um, there are a lot of tools that are built into Chrome that you can create or use that will essentially tell you out of the box if they're working as intended. So Google puts one out called Google uh, Tag Assistant. It's just mm -hmm. a free Chrome extension, and it gives you the most basic output ever, uh, a little smiley face that frowns if you screwed up. Um, so it's a really <laughs> um, it is very, very boilerplate, you know, so uh, it doesn't accommodate everything, but um, um, those are two big areas. Another place, too, is uh, just making sure that um, your reports are what you assume. You know, like if you look in your e-commerce stuff and you see stuff that's way out of whack, if you see anomalous um, readings on your timelines, big spikes, big big dips, um, those are always worth investigating. Uh, yeah, it's much uh, tag assistant is kind of like my wife when I screw up. Sad face. <laughs> <laughs> it's but, a title uh, of a book in there somewhere. <laughs> so, what role can real time data play in QCing a, a Google Analytics installation? Yeah, so so the real time reports, um, I think they were originally built, you know, for you know analysis purposes, right? Of course, it's within those reporting those systems. But, and I'm sure anybody that's ventured into it went, wow, that's cool, and then immediately said, so what? What do I care about? <laughs> and um, me from a, a technical side, I often use the real time report to save myself the weight of determining if one of my uh, implementation changes has taken effect successfully, right? So Google Analytics has a 24-hour availability window to the data, uh, unless you're play, paying for the commercial license, which most people are not. So as opposed to sitting there trying to wait that full 24 hours to see if the change you made to the implementation is correct and being received as intended, um, those reports are really valuable for finding out if uh, event hits are coming through, if you've got that goal set up correctly, um, if you're seeing traffic from the geographic locations that you expect. Um, so there's a lot of value in those reports from a troubleshooting perspective that you can use. Uh, and one little dirty trick that I like to do is um, if you go to the site and you add, like, say, a unique query string parameter, so you just put a little mm -hmm. question mark, Dave equals true, and then you go into the real time reports and go into the content section and look for that unique one that you added. It's of course harmless to the site. It really shouldn't affect anything. But what that does is it allows you to isolate yourself in the real time reports. So when you start poking around, you know it's just you setting those off. Uh, so it's a great little testing trick. Nice. You better hit that one one more time. Go, go through that one more time. Sure. So if you go to your site um, and just on the back end of the URL, uh, there are 
sometimes it's going to be already their query string parameters, which are just key value pairs. Um, marketers are familiar with these, with UTM parameters and all that. So you just add a bogus one. It could be anything you want. It could be just so long as it's unique to you and you're the only one in the universe that's going to be doing it right now. So when <laughs> you add that in, what happens is it sends that URL, that page path to Google Analytics, if you're tracking. And then in the real-time reports, you just navigate over to the content section and put in that unique value that you've added to the URL. And then what happens is it adds in this little blue filter onto it. You'll see it pop up at the top of the reports. Um, and then you can navigate around any of the real-time reports confident that it's isolating just you. Um, so you could start triggering events and goals. So long as you have that query string parameter staying in the URL, um, you're going to isolate yourself in the data. So what, is, what are some of the common mistakes people make uh, setting up Google Analytics? Uh, setup mistakes are usually around um, when you add it. Um, the, new, the new way to do it, and I say new as in a couple of years, but is using like a, a tag management system. Um, the most common mistakes you're going to see with people deploying out to this code is using it the old school way and just slapping it to the page um, uh, hard coding into it. Because what ends up happening is you're adding a lot of um, effort into the developments um, by not using a tag management tool. Now, in addition to how you're placing that code, where in the, on the site you're placing that code is, is also pretty pivotal. If you put it at the bottom of the page, um, you're going to miss a lot of data. If you put it uh, in the incorrect order, uh, you're going to throw things out of sync. Um, so, so placement is key and deployments uh, via like a tag management system is also key. Yeah, it's Google Tag Manager is very helpful, especially for uh, people that do work on the sites and really don't have access to the site where they can still go in and make code changes and all that stuff. Yeah, I can't imagine doing this without it anymore. It's, it's greatly reduced my reliance on um, the client's developer teams, which are right. always a bit of a mixed bag in terms of quality. Dave, I know one of the things that a lot of people wrestle with in terms of mistakes are self-referrals. You know, they go into referrals and they see their own website referring traffic to itself. What's the most common cause of that and how do you correct it? Yeah, so self-referrals, um, they're, they're actually happening less and less thanks to um, like a default configuration that Google decided to put in when you create web properties within Google Analytics. So within the administrative panel at the web property level, there is a little option there for you to add in domains uh, that are essentially interpreted as self-referrals. Um, but this is good to clean up the data, but it also has the problem of obscuring the fact that you are self-referring. Um, it, it always makes me think of like if you guys ever watched The Simpsons when Homer couldn't get the clock on his, uh, his uh, car to work properly, he just put a piece of tape over it and wrote the time on it. That's essentially what this <laughs> is doing, right? Um, so what happens is when it's part of that self-referral exclusion, um, it's removes any well it doesn't re it removes the fact that you have a self-referral and just says direct um now the most common cause of a self-referral is generally goes back to that uh common mistake in setting up google analytics not every page was tracked properly um or the code is in the wrong location so just to walk you through a scenario let's say i have a website and there's page a page b and page c and I, I phoned in the implementation and I slapped the code to the bottom of the page. Now, as that user is cruising through from page A to page B to page C, 
if they clicked through too fast on page B and they didn't load the entire page, including my tracking code, and they end up on page C, what happens in the reports is page A is tracked, page C is tracked, but page B is just in the, in the nether. It's not there anymore. So what happens is when it looks back to go, okay, who referred you here? It's in fact page B and it's a self-referral. Mm. Uh, but again, you, you, you see this less and less in the data as like, you know, uh, example.com, if that's yours and you don't see it in the referrals because of that referral ex- exclusion list. Interesting. So you're really kind of masking your own problem. So you still need to figure out why it's happening. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes too, like, you know, um, uh, building out a separate web property and tracking on it and maybe just turning that off just as a test to see if it is an issue, um, sometimes is a worthy troubleshooting effort. Interesting. Now, speaking of referrals, it's not uncommon to pop into somebody's analytics and they see google.com under acquisition under referrals. And a lot of people think that that's organic traffic when it's listed as a referral. What is that really? Well, um, it, it's whenever you see a referral, um, it's it's always going to be uh, a, a link on an external website driving traffic to yours. Now, organic um, organic traffic, the way that it classifies and attributes that, it's a little bit more intelligent in terms of this is a search engine versus this is not. Now, if you see like Google.com or Yahoo.com or any search engine, that just means that um, the route that that user took um, didn't come as a result of a searching result page or anything like that. So great example. Let's say that I am, um, uh, I'm on Google's, uh, analytics support forums. You know, I've been there, you can ask questions. It's a, it's a relatively small community, but let's say that I answer a question for you and I drop in a link to say, Hey, check this out. This, this solves your problem and it goes to your website. Now, the person on the receiving end of that analytics is going to see that as a referral from google.com. Uh, despite the fact that I'm on like just a public forum on google.com. So it can be a little bit tricky. um, And sometimes it's handy to uh, use the dimension full refer, uh, which essentially gives you the entire URL of where that user came from. So when you see google.com as a referral, that's just the host name. Uh, But there is a dimension that gives you the full fleshed out URL. Now, uh, I get this question a lot. Why doesn't the number of clicks in Google Search Console match the number of organic clicks? Yeah, so general rule of thumb, um, and this goes for any stat tracking or analytic platform, is that the numbers are never really going to be one-to-one, and that's okay. Um, There's always going to be a standard deviation between the two. And sometimes you think because it's Google Ads or it's Google Search Console or it's Google, it's all part of the Google sphere that they're going to play together nice. Uh, but that's that's rarely the case, right? Um, and a lot of it boils down to the method in which those values are counted um, is going to be based on different tech. Um, so think about like Google Search Console, think about Google Ads, think about Google Analytics. Most of those products and services were actually acquisitions by Google of other companies. Um, so they all started outside of Google space and then they came together under it. Uh, so that the inherent tech um, with it is, is going to be slightly different. The only time you're ever going to see a one-to-one match in terms of this is exactly that in two different systems is if that d- data is shared between those two. The TLDR is it's different technology tracking it in a different way. <laughs> mm-hmm. Dave, what are some secrets that SEOs can use 
to decode what organic keywords are used since we don't see them anymore, but everybody's trying to crack that code. Sure. Yeah. That's, I I think that's the golden question, right? That's, um, that's what a lot of people want to know. Um, and the thing is like the, that question is essentially, um, a constant perpetual fight with Google's, uh, (laughs) attempt at, you know, various different privacy, right? Now, one of the things that I like to do, and, and this came about when uh, like Not Provided came out. Now, the whole history behind Not Provided is essentially um, uh, secure search became the standard norm that was enabled by default. And Not Provided means that the service that's uh, in Google in this instance um, uh, c- ceased to provide that information because it's going from encrypted to uh, your site, which is unencrypted or having a different certification. Right. Now, to figure out essentially how that user got there in terms of the keywords is getting uh, or there is, you know, very difficult. And you can narrow down um, the keywords by essentially getting a better understanding of the landing page. Because um, if you think about how a user uh, traverses just the internet through an organic search engine as they go, they make a search. They see a certain results page, and that results page is going to have a series of pages or landing pages that go to different sites. Now, the dimension in Google Analytics landing page is always going to be the very first page that that user arrives on your site, you know, hence the landing page. So one of the tricks that I like to do is essentially um, take that page in particular, go over to Google Ads, and push it through its keyword planner which will essentially uh, somewhat use the same logic that uh, they've got on the back end of uh, um, Google Ads to determine what keywords is suggesting you bid on. Now, you don't have to bid on them. You don't have to pay for anything like that. So long as you have a Google account, you just go in there, feed it the page, and then you get a listing of uh, the keywords that it finds the most relevant for that page. Uh, Now, again, it's not exact. Uh, The days of it being exact are gone. Um, but that's essentially how I like to do it when I'm trying to understand, uh, like the SEO impact is by using, by using Google against itself uh, with the keyword planner. Yeah. Same, same here. I mean, you obviously can get a really good clue from the topic of the page it lands on, but uh, also going to, you know, if you're tracking your keywords, you'll have a, you can put those two together and get a pretty good idea of where, you know, what they came in on. Yeah. And and it's interesting too, because I, I know, um, like when that came about, there were a lot of folks that were really upended by it. And the thing is like, in terms of like categoric topic, um, that's usually what it seems like a lot of the, the pages in, are targeting. For example, you know, if I'm, um, if I'm trying to make an SEO centric site around like cats, right. Does it really matter the various different misspellings of cats? Can I really, <laughs> um, yeah. can I really change my entire marketing strategy because someone said cat instead of cats? Um, that sort of thing. I know I, I'm a little hyperboil there, but um, I mean, ultimately, uh, how nuanced your strategy, if it's that particular, where it requires such specific variations of words, you know, I think you may be spending your time in the wrong areas. Very good. What are some of the common KPIs that people overlook and should pay more attention to? Sure. Yeah. Um, KPIs, of course, key performance indicators. And um, one thing that I would warn people against is that there's no single dimension or single metric that's going to tell the entirety of the story 
around uh, success or fail with certain efforts, right? Um, usually when I think of KPIs, I think of, okay, this is um, like this is the, the main one I want to measure, such as goal conversions or button presses or something like that. But there's always going to be a spattering of information or dimensions and metrics that are going to be what I call a quality. Like, for example, a KPI, a very common one for like an e-commerce place is going to be like uh, transactions, right? Number mm-hmm. of transactions. We want to increase our sales. But then you have different quality indicators such as revenue or, uh, you know, uh, how often the, the user, like if it's a return user or something like that. Um, so common KPIs that people overlook generally are around engagements, Um so I gave like the, the the crown jewel of most retailers is like a transaction, but there is a whole journey before somebody hits that transaction that can indicate or even predict um, how a user is going to behave down the line. Um, so engagement KPIs such as uh, how deep in the site they go, uh, how much time they spend on the site, if they hit key um, bits of content, um, uh, page velocity is a good way of thinking it, essentially monitoring um, how far into uh, the site your landing page drives a user. Uh, another one that I like to build out is something called engagement scoring, uh, which is essentially like a customization to your implementation that will add a, uh, a quantifiable number to the way that people behave. Uh, and I think that's a good KPI in terms of uh, understanding how engaged they are and how far down that funnel they're going to get. That's really Um, interesting. So it's like lead scoring for website visitors. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially um, what happens is uh, like, so I'm a user, I'm on your site, I'm poking around, I'm pressing buttons, I'm filling out forums, I'm watching videos. Now, um, one of the struggles that a lot of analysts have doing this is trying to rope in all of these different actions and types of data from page views to events and and string it together to tell like a cohesive story, right? It all boils down to you sitting in front of a C-suite with a, uh, a PowerPoint going, this happened and this is what I think it's good, you know, kind of thing. But making it easier by by taking each one of those actions and giving it a score Um, And it doesn't have to be like there's no hard set rule like watching a video could be 100 Uh, um, one page view could be one, you know, like the higher the score, the the, the more valuable it is to your company. Right. Um, And what happens is if you stick a number or a metric on all of these actions uh, at the end of the day, you have um, this number that you can slice and dice by what interests you. So let's 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 talk organic SEO. Right. So. Um, you can say um, this is the average engagement score from people coming from organic traffic versus uh, uh, social traffic versus uh, direct. You know, um, so it's it's a simplification of a very complicated question, uh, engagement scoring. So that makes a great KPI. You know, I'm gonna it. I'm gonna have to go back and listen to this because he just opened a nugget that I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I did the same thing. I'm running through different clients that I have right now. I said, I got to do that because you know, one of the things we'll do, that's a, a, a relative, I shouldn't even use the word equivalent, but let's say derivative of that is making sure that we put a conversion value in all of the conversions, regardless of whether it's e-commerce or not, so that at least you can get a dollar value per page which I think is calculated on how often it appears in the path of a conversion. So it just allows you to talk to clients and something that they understand. This mm-hmm. page is worth more than that page. 
Yeah. So I, I love engagement scoring. I, I actually, uh, I wish I did it more often. The, the struggle with that is it, it can be a relatively um, complicated implementation to do because essentially you are, you have to think through every action that's already taking place and assign it um, a value in a way that is not uh, too technically prohibited, right? Like if I have a hundred different actions on the page that I can take me as the, your implementation person would have to go through all of like the way that's built out and ensure that those values are accurate and consistent. Um, the other hurdle is organizationally. Uh, and this one's actually kind of funny because these numbers are like, ultimately these numbers are arbitrary, right? Um, they're just you giving a point value. Um, so a lot of times when you sit down with a larger team, um, you know, we've got, uh, Matt, let's say you do, you know, YouTube videos and I do the, the, the blog, um, I'm going to be sitting there at the table going, somebody reading my blog is worth a hundred points. And you're going to be looking at the sheet going, no, somebody watching my video is going to be a hundred points. You're worth five <laughs> points. And it is, uh, it is funny sitting through those conversations. It's almost like I'm, uh, um, like a divorce uh, mitigator or something like you guys are both worth. 10 points. Can we settle there? You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's go deep into the closet for this next question, because way deep into the admin settings, uh, there's a search term exclusion list in the property settings that a lot of people don't use. And a lot of people don't know about what's the value in using that setting. How can SEOs benefit from that? Uh, truthfully, I, d I don't see this used too often either. Um, and I do believe that this feature was implemented mostly to strip out um, possible like bot traffic or usage of that, uh, especially if you're getting flooded with keywords and information um, uh, that or not, not necessarily the keywords exactly, but you're just trying to filter through some of the noise. Um, so anytime you have an exclusion list anywhere in the, in the panel, it's it's. Um, you're kind of marking that bit of data for death, you know, and typically that's always going to be something that is uh, erroneous or um, uh, anomalous data, typically from bots. At least that's in my experience. Yeah, I've seen a few people use it where they put in the brand terms because what they're trying to do, I think, is eliminate the gimmies, you know, the low hanging fruit from the analysis of the organic. So if mm -hmm. you've got a brand that is so uncommon that it's not duplicated you really don't want to credit yourself for driving organic traffic that kind of fell in your lap because you've got an extraordinarily rare brand name. I've seen people use implementation for that purpose. So that organic is really hard work type organic traffic. Sure. Yeah. And, and like I said, the, the exclusion list that can be, um, again, you're marking a bit of data for death and it's not going to show up again. Um, right. uh, like personally, I, you know, even those, those easy one, those gimmies, um, separating out your brand traffic is, is definitely a, great way to think of it. Um, but I still like to have that there. Uh, so you can look at it side by side. Um, so understanding brand track traffic and those gimmies essentially allows you to, uh, understand another KPI, uh, which is brand awareness. Um, so seeing an increase in brand awareness, uh, could be a KPI for you, um, but it won't be available if you are stripping that out. Dave, it is time to take a break. We, we have a really popular segment here called who influences the influencer. And what we want to know is who in the industry influences you and gives you the information to keep you up to date. Hey, Brennan here, founder of the U.S. search award-winning SEO agency, Pixel Cut Labs. We're launching a new video series and we're inviting the Search Talk Live family to get involved. So here's the deal. I'm opening up a group of one-on-one -on -one consulting sessions to fix your SEO roadblocks. 
If you're okay with us publishing a recording of the call on our website to promote our expertise, the consulting session is on me. If you're facing a crawl issue, struggling with creating effective content, or just need some help identifying the right keywords to target, go ahead and take the next two minutes. Visit bit.ly slash SEO call. There's no spaces, no capitals, no hyphens. bit.ly slash SEO call and tell me what you need help with. If I think I can help, I'll send over a few times for our consulting call and you can choose what works for you. So again, the link is bit.ly slash SEO call. No spaces, no hyphens, all lowercase. And it will take about two minutes to fill out. I'll bring everything to the table to help you break through the barriers you're facing as long as we can use the recording of our call to promote our knowledge. Looking forward to hearing from you. Directive is an industry-leading search marketing agency fully focused on helping B2B marketing teams increase their results. If you're looking to increase your marketing qualified leads and decrease your cost per acquisition for search engines, I'd highly recommend you take a look at their site. We've actually had their CEO, Garrett Marguth, on the show, and I can honestly say these guys are doing some great stuff. I hear that they even have their own analytics system that lets you correlate your SEO, PPC, or content efforts directly to revenue. If you're a B2B company and thinking about switching agencies, or if you're in-house and need help, I'd give Directive a look. Visit directiveconsulting.com or call 949-214-4024. Again, that's 949-214-4024. Again, that's directive at directiveconsulting.com. Your website analytics data probably feels like this. But it could feel like this. Making sense of all the website data available to you hasn't been easy until now. Smilelytics transforms your website analytics data into easy-to-understand memorable photographs. You pick your own photo theme. Smilelytics. S-M-Y-L-E-Lytics. Like analytics. Only happier. And it's free at smilelytics.com. Want to know how your website is doing? Get the big picture with pictures. It's the easiest and most enjoyable way to understand your website data. No charts, no graphs, no cost. Sign up today. Smilelytics. S-M-Y-L-E-Lytics. Like analytics. Only happier at smilelytics.com. Get your questions in on Twitter. Type hashtag search talk live and your question. Now back to the show. All right, we're back. So Dave, tell us who influences you in the industry. Yeah, so the, the one I come back to the most is, uh, uh, you probably heard of his name, Simo Ahava. Uh, he runs a fantastic um, blog. It's very GTM-centric um, mm-hmm. for implementations. Uh, what I love about the work that he does is he finds extremely uh, innovative solutions to um uh, common implementation problems that a lot of people have. There are a lot of things like, uh, you know, GTM was the new kid on the block for the longest time. Uh, and there were, was a lot of things the tool just didn't do out of the box. Uh, and he bridged a lot of those gaps very early, which was, uh, I think a big influence on the tool itself. So what, um, what's his blog? The name uh, of his blog? Simoahava.com. Can you spell that out for the listeners? Sorry. <laughs> sure. Um, it is S I M O. A-H-A-V-A dot com. 
Okay. Uh, and it, it can be pretty technical. So um, it, it's more so for implementation and technical stuff. But mm-hmm. uh, it, it's a really great, here's a, like a pre-baked solution, even if you're not technical, that you can hand off to um, somebody who may be deploying it. Nice. Sure. Anybody else you follow, Dave, to get functionality updates for Google Analytics? Um, besides, besides Google. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's um, uh, InfoTrust is a premier partner uh, for the 360 reseller license. Um, so I do drink right from the well on a lot of the latest <laughs> stuff, fortunately. Um, so uh, as you mentioned, if it can't be Google, uh, I, I, I don't uh, I don't know. Okay. Anybody else? Uh, Avinash, uh, he has a lot of good stuff in terms mm-hmm. of organizational items. I think a lot of people have heard uh, of him before. Um, also, Justin Cucciani. Um, however, I haven't seen much from him in a bit, uh, and that just could be me not keeping up. Gotcha. All right, so let's dive back into the questions here. Um, is there an advantage to SEOs to create a filter for only organic traffic? So um, when you say filter, I'm assuming that you mean a view filter, which essentially yeah. isolates right. that data. Yeah. Um, yes and no. There's there's advantages and disadvantages. Um, the advantage, of course, is that you uh, strip out a lot of the noise. Um, so if you are exclusively interested in understanding organic, and it's okay that it's in a vacuum, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, the way that a view filter works is it um, essentially stops a hit from coming into uh, that particular report um, or that, that that view, right? It, it stops it cold at the door. Um, when it comes to doing this, it can be uh, um, it can be a little bit of a disadvantage to look at items in a vacuum simply because um, a lot of the strengths of understanding how your organic is performing is understanding how your organic is performing in the grand scheme of things marketing wise. Um, so uh, yes and no. So the, the, the biggest advantage is um, uh, it's a shortcut to stripping out the noise. It's a really great place to start in understanding organic um, without a lot of like, clutter from other channels. Um, but after that, I do usually recommend uh, doing some comparative analysis against your other marketing channels. Dave, Google Analytics can be customized to a degree that I think a lot of people don't realize. And users are changing. The world's changing. Do you think in this world of multi-tab users and mobile use, is there a benefit to changing the default definition of a session duration? So uh, that's a really interesting question, um, especially just with the way that um, the way that analytics is changing is it going from uh, session centric reporting to user centric. And of course the main struggle for that is the multi device user where they're on a phone or on a different computer or something like that. And I'm like, I'm sitting at my desk here and I have, I'm just looking around um, like three, four devices in range that are essentially classifying me as, as four different users, depending on, you know, where I log in and when. Um, now, the session duration, uh, the setting for that is essentially an expiration um, for uh, the user's session. And what happens is after 30 minutes, if that uh, site or that tracking hasn't heard from me, it times me out. Now, 
it's a bit of a, a um, there are two different ideas, right? Trying to unify the user versus the uh, like session duration, they're, they're apples to oranges. Um, I usually don't recommend changing the session duration strictly because of the sole reason that all of the documentation and information and reporting, all the videos and training that you're going to watch are going to operate under the assumption that that's 30 minutes. Yeah. Um, so it, it's almost uh, uh, any advantage in terms of the technical stuff that it may bring uh, introduces the disadvantage of constantly having to tell the new guy that you changed this setting. <laughs> so, <laughs> so where does it like, you know, in, in case of like, let's say a blog where you see a lot higher bounce traffic, is does it make sense for someone like that? Yeah, you know, it's it, it can it, well, it depends, right? Um, this it's the right idea. It's identifying the correct need, um, but the solution is actually uh, more minute tracking on that blog page, mm-hmm. uh, not like changing the parameters of the session, right? Sure. So, so let's say I, I'm on a blog, and um, let's say it's got a high bounce rate, or you know, it, it has a, you know because people are timing out. Right. Uh, because it's a really long article, and it's a great article. Everybody is just enthralled by it and spends 45 minutes reading this article. Um, there's other tracking that you can put in place to let you know that the user's still there and still active, such as scroll tracking. When they start scrolling down, you can trigger stuff that says, hey, this guy's still here. He's interacting. Um, he's engaging the, on the on the content. Um, so the solution there is, is more minute and granular tracking um, that's based on either sometimes on automations or timing, but most of the time on interactions from the user. Um, but changing that like session duration, um, it's a bit of uh, uh, an older method that I yeah. I don't see much anymore. So on the scroll, if you can track that scroll action, does it add to the session duration? Um, so the yeah, so so the session duration of timeout of thirty minutes. That's just like I haven't heard from you in thirty minutes, so I'm gonna right. assume you left, right? right. The every the, the time um, metrics are essentially measured between hits. So if I am sending a hit, it's going to measure the distance in time between those two hits to gotcha. fill out those metrics. Did that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. Thank you. Um, let's see. And one other thing I wanted to ask you too is, and a lot of people don't know about this uh, surprisingly, but uh, attribution, like you have different types of attribution you can do in Analytics. I know this is a huge rabbit hole. We don't have time to go through all that, but um, could you walk through the, the the different types, like you know, linear versus you know, last click, those type of things? Yeah, sure. So um, there are different attribution models that you can essentially lay over the data that you have that you've collected. Um, typically, when you see like these different models, such as linear or uh, um, the time decay. I think there, there's a handful of them, right? Yeah. Um, they are going to live in the um, the attribution modeling tool, which is very centric around goals. Um, so, if you do plan on getting more advanced with attribution modeling, you have to really up your goals game and make sure that they're uh, um, they're valuable, they're uh, um, they're uh, insightful, they're they're properly configured um, before you start applying that. Now, the the attribution, and, and it's really interesting, like this topic of attribution is something that I think right now in the industry is a real um, like key issue, mostly because 
a lot of people are engaging in multi-channel marketing and they're across the board. And to be frank, a lot of people are sitting around uh, the table going, what did my, how did I contribute? All right. Now the, the attribution model, the base reports in GA are on are called uh, last non-direct interaction, which essentially means the last channel that interacted with the user, so long as it wasn't direct, is going to get all of the credit on those reports. Right. Now, layering on those attribution models um, allows you to essentially distribute that credits um, at different points in the user's journey to a conversion. Um, so, for example, if you are, um, you know, part of uh, social is a common one that shows up uh, as like the 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 meat in the attribution sandwich, right? They're they're the ones that stay in front of the user, but rarely are they the ones that push them across the finish line. Right. Um, so, starting to uh, apply those models, there's no right answer to which one applies best to you. It's more of a let's layer them on and see where my channel um, or my efforts fit into the grand scheme of things of all of our marketing work. Um, so in terms of organic or SEO, uh, you may find that uh, you bring people in really well, but you don't push them across the finish line. Alternatively, you may find that uh, you don't capture them right away, but you, you are the one that does shove them across the line. Um, so those models are there for you to understand um, how uh, that channel um, fits into the grand scheme of things. Right. And I, I want to, for the listeners, I just want to explain this. So like a linear attribution is, is where, let's say, like he just said, they saw you on Facebook, but then they saw you on Google ads. Um, and then they came to your website and did the conversion. So then you would see that whole path down the road until they got to that conversion, the funnel. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and um, like just attribution in general is becoming uh, it, it hit a real bump in the road uh, with multi-device users, right? Um, because I, you know, for example, I'd go onto my computer, my work computer, and I pop on your site, and then later in the day, I jump on my personal computer and I'd convert. Um, so it, like the other person would be completely lost. Um, so the, a big part of attribution um, solutions nowadays is actually working on a technical level to unify your users um, across their devices. A lot of people think it's not uncommon for the site speed in Google Analytics to be very different from other third-party tools. Like you can get some really wide-reaching numbers. Why why are the numbers so different? Um, that's that's another excellent question, and um, uh, I'm. I'm struggling to find a uh, unbiased answer, to be honest. I, I've, I've used it before in the past, and I've been uh, victim to its its wild swings in terms of results. Um, but I think it actually just boils down to Google Analytics, um, in terms of its like timing tracking, uh, can be a bit of a tactical mixed bag, right? It is lumping together an extremely wide array of users across a very wide array of devices. And it's doing so in a way that is behind a curtain, right? Um, Cause there are several different steps with a page load that are key milestones for people from uh, uh, like a development perspective. So for example, when the DOM is loaded and the presentation layer is available, um, when the window is fully loaded and all the gears in the background stop turning, uh, I've always found that Google Analytics just 
has always historically done a poor job at articulating at what step, at what milestone, and how it applies to this user or that user. Um, I usually do call like these reports, um, like if you're interested in poking around and just looking for major red flags to pop in there and take a look. But ultimately, the development teams that are building these sites um, are using specialized tools for that. Um, mm-hmm. And they're going to find that uh, those tools are going to do a far better and more accurate job at understanding site speed and all that. Now, I know that uh, obviously this question is uh, like SEO, it's like site speed is a big uh, condition to making sure that you start ranking well. Because um, if your site's slow and people are leaving, it's going to kill your rankings, and that's that's just it. Um, so, with that being said, venturing into those reports and making sure that you get extremely segmented with the way that you're viewing it, to make sure that you're looking at um, like the traffic that is most important and most valuable to you, uh, and looking for any major red flags. Because uh, honestly, that that's the surface level stuff that you're going to find. It's a good way to rule out like a major technical problem in the event that you're doing analysis and you can't figure out why something didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, too, you know, it, it's I think it's uh, a better route to lean on your development team uh, with those sort of questions about site speed. Uh, and also, too, a bit of a shameless plug here, but um, uh, InfoTrust, the company I work for, does make a tool called Tag Inspector. Um, which actually um, breaks this out a lot better. Um, it is it does have some specialization in that, that it can monitor the various different tags that you have working, uh, and show you what's what's bogging your site down. Yeah, I think it's tough to get people to get divorced from the Google speed and analytics because a lot of people think you know if that's Google's ranking signal that that's what they're showing you, and why don't you want to trust the data right from the horse's mouth? But you're you're right. I mean, it's it's can be wildly inconsistent, and who knows what's going on behind the black curtain. Yeah, and um, um, just just with Google Analytics in general too, that's that's data for you and exclusively used by you. <laughs> um, there are some items that are shared between you and Google, but that's they're never going to base anything that's in your analytics on their their SEO decisions. True, true. Um, you know, I want to come back to goals for just a second because you you talked about that as kind of the center point of attribution modeling, and so we can't ignore that as a topic. What are some of the common mistakes you see when people do goal or conversion setup? Yeah, um, the most common mistake is not doing goals or conversion setup. That's the, <laughs> that's the number one way that I find people screw that up, um, and it's it's pretty surprising how. Uh, how often it gets overlooked, and I'm even guilty of it. Uh, it it's, it's very easy to get like lost in the weeds of some of the data and then not take a step back and go, um, you know, we should track this as a goal. Um, but the second most common mistake is typically actually um, fumbling a regular expression. Um, so there are a lot of uh, goals that you can create. Of course, the most common one are going to be destination goals, um, where a user uh, uh, lands on a page, not lands on a page, but, you know, arrives at a page somehow or... Uh, sends a hit to our page view to a page. Um, it's very common too to get more robust with those goals by building out uh, regular expressions that will encompass several different pages into the same destination uh, of the same like value. Great example is if you have like uh, eight contact forms uh, across your website and different pages and ask different questions. They all land on a thank you page at some point and they all go to the same sales team. 
um, that could be organizationally the same strategic objective. So it would make sense to have one goal associated with it. But a regular expression would essentially allow you to encompass all eight of those pages into a single goal just to keep your your goals uh, um, more strategically relevant. Uh, but the second most is just regular expressions are can be complicated and um, I see a lot of uh, failed attempts when I am correcting goals. <laughs> so where can SEOs go to get some sample custom reports that they can use to improve the, their work? Yes, yeah, so so the custom reporting aspect of um, Google Analytics, uh, it's one of those things where there are a handful of templates and items that you can download from the uh, from the gallery, which is actually built in right into Google Analytics. Um, so anytime you see or build out a report, you're going to see a button there that says you know load from a template, and there are a bunch of industry experts and leaders, uh, some of which I, you know I mentioned in the influencer section, um, that are pre-baked custom reports. Uh, that you can look at and use. Uh, they're depending. They target different things from e-commerce to SEO. Um, it has a pretty, believe it or not, Google has does pretty well at search. Uh, so it has a pretty good search <laughs> function that you can use. Um, so yeah, just, just poke around in there. And, and what I would encourage people to do too is don't settle for the template um, because it's built off of uh, like the most common denominators in terms of your data. Um, so go in there, um, pull out a template, uh, find what you think is the most interesting and then tweak it to your personal interests. I agree. And I think I'd encourage people to experiment. It doesn't cost anything at all. So pull down some of these templates, try a half dozen of them, see which one's generating data that's impactful to you and see if it can be tweaked. But I think people are hesitant to try. And I, and I say it doesn't cost anything. It's, it's a no brainer. Put it out there. You don't have to show it to anybody until you're comfortable with it, but give them a try. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And, and you can also take bits and pieces from the different reports you look at. Say you like one thing and you can move it into that other one. You know what I'm saying? So uh, if you need to. <laughs> yeah, and there, people there are, have done some amazing things. There are a lot of uh, non-destructive aspects of Google Analytics um, tweaking and considering, you know, and, and, and configuring. Um, you know, if you're in the admin panel, you can mess stuff up in there. But if you're outside in those reports and building segments, um, there's very little you can do that just doesn't affect exclusively you. So just go to town. Couldn't agree more. I like that. So it's time for Believe It or Leave It. All right, Dave, one of the most popular parts of Search Talk Live, Believe It or Leave It. We're going to give you three statements we found on the Internet, and we're going to ask you to tell our audience whether they should believe it or whether they should leave it. Are you ready? Yes. All right, number one. There is a secret formula that only a few people know about that can reveal the organic keywords behind the not provided organic traffic. Yeah, leave it. <laughs> I, yeah, if I could say something harsher and then leave it, I would. <laughs> and and yet you see so many people investing such tremendous amount of time uh, writing articles about how to decode that and how they have cracked the code. Yeah. All right. Question number two. A user who is using a cookie blocker will not be counted in Google Analytics. Hmm. So this is um, – man, I, I, I got to say leave it. Um, 
there are methods out there for cookie list tracking um, that you can use. So a cookie blocker is not the end of the world for analytics. That's interesting because we're about to maybe enter into an era of a no cookie tracking system. So that's a very significant answer that you gave. Yeah. And um, I've, I've been saying for a while, cookies just generally from a tech perspective is it seems so archaic. All a cookie is, it's a little text file with a little bit of text that the website sends you. It, it feels like I'm passing notes in sixth grade when I'm talking about <laughs> cookies like that. The, there's got to be a better way. And um, it's funny that the legalities of it caught up to this, honestly, archaic means of doing this. Um, so I, I would not be surprised if in a year or two years, um, cookies were something that we laugh about in terms of tracking. I agree. So All much right. for retargeting. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number three. When a website has a high proportion of its traffic coming from organic, that automatically means it's ranking really well. Uh, leave it, too, and leave that. Tell me why. Um, volume doesn't always equate to success, and especially in this regard. Um, volume from organic could mean that um, there's a bot coming through. You can have something that is uh, um, malfunctioning in terms of attribution. <laughs> there's There could be a lot of different reasons why this may be happening. Um, but uh, I would love to say believe it and say, yeah, that's, that's going to be the case every time. But uh, I'm always sus suspect of really good news or really bad news you know <laughs> <laughs> and yes a good data analyst always is good stuff <laughs> we could probably do a couple more shows just with this with him <laughs> easily easily All cool right. yeah let me uh, let me know <laughs> <laughs> so um now it's time for the search talk live tattoo so dave we need your best most concise, shortest piece of advice you'd give our listeners based on the our content today and the things we talked about. Remember, it's got to be tattooable because Robert gets all of these as tattoos. So what's your Search Talk Live tattoo? Uh, I would say analytics without insights is just counting. Ah, that's a bumper sticker if I've ever heard one. Analytics without insights is just counting. That's a uh, half sleeve right there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Awesome. Well, hopefully you've inspired more people to get involved in more than just counting and go deeper into analytics. And I think you have. Great. Yeah. Me too. Um, so if I want to thank you for being on the show. The information you've given me has given me more excitement than I have had in a while when it comes to analytics, because there's there's nuggets there that I'm going to take back as soon as we end the show. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. But, um, but uh, if someone wants to reach you on, um, say, social media or something like that, or, uh, how would they do that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, just LinkedIn is really the one I pay attention to and use the most. Um, okay. I, I used to do Twitter, but uh, I'm, I found that I'm too long-winded, 
and uh, <laughs> I actually had an issue where a bot was pretending to meet me, and Twitter banned me because the bot was more interesting. I actually had to, <laughs> I had to send a picture of my license um, to verify that I'm the actual person. And uh, this 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 bot was posting muffin recipes. It was great, and uh, <laughs> unfortunately, I got the boot. But yeah, so so definitely LinkedIn. Um, I love hearing from folks. I connect with everybody that I can. Um, I also I don't mind questions as well. I get messages a lot from uh, the previous trainings. I love to see what people are up to. So, so are you are you currently out. training people now? Uh, no, no. I'm uh, I'm strictly consulting uh, with clients um, okay. at the moment. Gotcha. Uh, so I do actually as a result of uh, some of this COVID stuff. Um, I did want to put together just quick five minute videos to go uh, um, deep into just various different topics. Very short. I've not done any of that yet. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> the way that I figured it was um, with everything that's going on, my main contribution could be at least um, people coming out of this a little bit smarter than they were before now that they have the time to train. So uh, I just have to make the time to make the videos, but probably look for that on LinkedIn when I do start rolling those out. I would do it sooner than later. Is it a lot of people sitting at home looking for things to do? And, you know, if you're geeks like us. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, with, uh, with all of this, though, I'm, I'm, I'm an avid indoorsman, so I still <laughs> manage to stay pretty busy. <laughs> That's good. All right. So, great. Um, so, your LinkedIn is the best way to reach you? Yep, absolutely. And the website for your company? Uh, infotrust.com. Nice. So thanks for being on the show. It's been great. Thanks to the listeners. Especially thank our sponsors, Pixel Cut Labs and Directive for sponsoring the show. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, everyone, for listening. See you in a couple weeks. Bye. Search Talk Live is brought to you by Pixel Cut Labs, a 2019 U.S. Search Award-winning SEO agency. Welcome to Page One. If you have a question about today's show, or would like to be a sponsor, email Robert at searchtalklive.com. That's Robert at searchtalklive.com.